Howdy. Welcome to Undersampled Radio, the show where we talk science, tech, oil, business, politics, and more. Hi, I'm Matt. And I'm Graham. Together, we're the hosts of this circus. To follow the conversation, make suggestions, or rant and rave, please visit the forum Software Underground at swung.rocks. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Undersampled Radio, Episode 8, which Matt has labeled news and booze. I mean news. Why is there booze in the title, buddy? It's, um, I, I can't explain it. No, okay. Uh, what's in your coffee cup? <laughs> That's my business, Sonny. <laughs> so, we're going to do this episode as a, uh, just the two of us chatting about what's going on right now. And um, I don't really have any awesome things going on right now, but I can just sort of blab about what's happening in life. Uh, but Matt's actually got a big, long list of awesome things. So um, pick this is out, version two. What's the difference between version one and two? Well, it's 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 now much better. Wait, first <laughs> of all, tell us what pick this is in case... They pick, so pick this is a little web application. It's the, the sort of tagline is social image interpretation. So the idea is it's a, a bit like a cross between Flickr and Stack Exchange or Stack Overflow, if you, if you know of that site. So the idea is you can ask questions about images and the responses um, can be or are drawings. Okay, so the, you know, I guess from the geophysics point of view, you can say, hey, uh, where would you interpret the fault here or the unconformity in this seismic section? And then people can respond with a drawing, with their interpretation. And then uh, after they've done that response, and not before, they get to see what everybody else drew. And we make a kind of visualization of, uh, of all the responses mashed together in a, uh, a kind of heat map. Um, so it's kind of a, a bit of fun, but we're curious about, well, it immediately makes you wonder about all sorts of things, like, well, what is the answer, and how can I make use of this weird kind of cloud? Um, maybe I can't actually draw a single line anymore, or don't want to, because I've now got this kind of probability uh, distribution, uh, you know, manifested in a way that it sort of makes it really hard to ignore. You know, I, we all know there's multiple ways of interpreting things, when you actually see the, all the multiple ways of interpreting it, <laughs> you know, it's that much more kind of um, urgent, it seems. So, so yeah, we built this, the first version, at a hackathon a couple of years ago, like, uh, where was it, Denver in 2014. And then, interestingly, last fall, a UK oil and gas company got in touch and said, hey, we'd love to run this in our private cloud, um, which, you know, is obviously sounded really cool and really intriguing, uh, but the catch was that it had to be running on Amazon's AWS or Amazon Web Services cloud, not Google's cloud, which is where we had built it. So kind of a big catch, uh, you know, like a, a, it's not straightforward, it turns out, to port an app that was built on one sort of web framework platform to another one. Um, and in fact, so unstraightforward is it <laughs> that we just decided to rebuild it from scratch. 
So this is that. This is that new rebuilt from scratch version. So version uh, one is dead. Version one is dead. It's dead to us. So as and users, the there's no difference to us. Same URL, pick this.io. Um, and we've, we've brought over all the data, so people should find that their interpretations are still there and so on. So yeah, not a huge amount of change from the user's point of view. Uh, the site's a bit more, a bit faster, and it, but it has, <laughs> yeah. it has a few new features. It has a few new bugs, you know. Um, but yeah, it's been a bit of an epic, just for all sorts of reasons. But not least of which is that Amazon's cloud is this kind of crazy, amazing, but really, uh, I don't want to say difficult environment, but I mean, you could. I mean, I think there are people who spend their entire jobs just dealing with one or two parts of Amazon's cloud, like doing DevOps or, you know, running servers or whatever. But if you want to, you know, if you're a small, tiny company like us and you want to build a web app, you need to use, like, 15 of the, of the services. Yep. And suddenly you need to know all about everything. Database, server, DNS, storage, um, Yes, uh, it's been a bit of a journey. We were having Matt and I were having a discussion earlier today about uh, the the large percentage of at least my life that's spent in this space of not knowing anything and getting up to speed. It's like it's like ninety percent of my time is spent learning new systems because the same thing. I mean, it's you know, it. it I think that it's a good place to be because you're you're expanding your repertoire, but. Um, it certainly chaps your butt while you're doing it. Definitely, yeah. Um, so Definitely. you've got a note in here about MATLAB versus Python. Uh, yeah, okay. So um, I guess that was a, a blog post that I wrote, um, oh, I don't know, 10 days ago, a week, two weeks ago. Um, and. It, I, the insp not inspiration really, but the provocation for the blog post was that um, you know I was chatting to a, a geophysics prof, and he sort of said, you know, I'd love to um, do more programming, and uh, what should we be using? Everyone seems to use MATLAB, and sort of I was sort of you know singing the praises of Python, and and the, you know this downturn has really brought home to me the importance of. I don't know, just transferable skills and equipping graduating students with some uh, useful non sort of stuff that they can do that's outside of um, whatever the energy industry or academia, whatever the focus happens to be. Um, and you, I mean, you just can't move out there right now for people talking about doing data science, statistics, machine learning, et cetera, et cetera. And a lot of that stuff is happening in Python and R. And not and, in MATLAB. And none of it, well, very little of it is happening in MATLAB. Um, so, you know, as a, almost just as a favor to students, um, it, I, I think it's a better choice. Python's a better choice than MATLAB. Plus, there's a whole bunch of sort of technical reasons, which I go into in the post. Not all of them, but, you know, some of them are sort of more technical and just come down to sort of different syntax or whatever, or flexibility. And, um, yeah, so it was kind of a, a way of 
responding to this person um, on the blog. Yeah, <laughs> I do that quite a lot. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, anyway, it got, it, there's lots and lots of comments on there, so uh, it's, it's worth looking at the post just just for the comments because I think it's just got something like 20 plus comments on it, and you know people making some defence of why they might continue to use MATLAB, which I totally get, uh, especially if you're invested in it already. Um, yeah, and and some people saying yeah, Python's actually you know I've been delighted with learning it because it's easy to use or whatever. So it's worth having a look at the the conversation there. Yeah, awesome. There's a link on the show notes. Check it out. Um, they'll be in the the link to the show notes will be in the description of this podcast. Um, so it looks like you're doing some seismic interpretation. What's up with that? You got a yeah, job? right. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's uh, a a small contract that we picked up um, for the Nova Scotia government to do some work on uh, amplitude anomalies in a in a sort of huge two D data set. Um, you know, we, I mean, it's a small project, so it's kind of frustrating because you can't really get into it and do it do it justice. Um, but um, we did some work on the same data set last year on uh, seeps, so another kind of um, you know involved seismic, basically trying to find places to sample on the sea floor. Um, so looking for indicators of hydrocarbon leakage and the seismic data. And so I'm back to the same data set. Uh, it's been kind of nice just to just to sort of get back into it again. I don't do a lot of seismic interpretation anymore, so I've just been enjoying the the sort of discipline and the zen, if you like, of picking. I've been enjoying picking this. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it also comes with all the sort of headache of software and trying to get Petrel to do things and Petrel crashing uh, after not hitting save. Uh, because I'm not accustomed to it, <laughs> yep. not hitting safe, and just dealing with Windows. My goodness. Um, but yeah, I've got, I kind of like like the workflow I've got now is so the the approach is is a, a screening exercise essentially. So what I do instead of picking these um, sort of really extensive horizons, I'm really just picking like little local flags um, at their correct two-way travel time, and of course they're located in space. And I bring them all into Python, and then you can do a bunch of logic on them and sort of say, well, if this is near that, then keep it, and if it doesn't have this other coincident feature, then eliminate it. And we can make do a bunch of logic, um, and then I turn all of that into a shapefile, maybe do some more geospatial processing, and what I end up with is a table, essentially. And that, In the case of the SEEPS project, you end up with a table of possible sampling locations, and each one has a score based on the kind of features that supported it. So it's why a different... You, why are they one. looking for seeps? Uh, that was for a sampling project. So the, uh, there was a government expedition to go out and uh, take some okay. uh, cores from the sea bottom. And they're looking for hydrocarbon indicators, you know, actual hydrocarbons to get some geochemistry done. Sure, yeah. Well, it's interesting to hear you speak about the, the process, the, the non-traditional process by which you're you're interpreting and, and evaluating the data. That's it's refreshing that you're not all patrol all the time. Yeah, no, I mean, part of it was just the this. I guess the 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 system that I'm using doesn't have all the patrol licenses, so there were some things I just wasn't able to do or I couldn't figure them out. Um, 
but yeah, you know, you get into once you get into Python, you're like, okay, now I can do anything. Uh, so it's kind of it's kind of fun. Yeah, man. Um, so let me tell you about what I've been dealing with. <clears throat> yeah, what's this about Linux sucks? Yeah, I know. Uh, so that now that we've already bashed Windows and all of their <laughs> users, uh, let's bash Linux too. Linux sucks. Uh, you know how much better Linux is than Windows at many, many things. One of them is not its stability. <laughs> mm. um, yeah, so uh, most of the problem is that I'm an idiot and uh, <laughs> I try to do things that I, I'm not really sure what I'm doing again. And uh, I end up breaking my machine. And that happened. What do you mean breaking? Well, uh, what exactly the operating system here? So, I, okay, <laughs> apt get update is yeah. a death sentence. It every time, every time, it blows up my OS. So I, in the past, have gone through manually updated pieces of things that I need and nothing else because I again I'm again I'm ignorant and I don't know what the hell's going on so um, I had I said oh, don't worry Graham it'll be fine we'll just run the thing no problems Zen state man <clears throat> blew up iOS so that's awesome so um, but just update you're not even doing like dist upgrade or no 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 easy simple so, um, thank goodness for GitHub. Thank goodness for Google Drive. Um, you know, those things make it really easy. And uh, there's nothing on my computer. I mean, you know, basically uh, right. my data, my, my actual data is on some external uh, hard storage. And then my things and tools and stuff are backed up on that disk or backed up in GitHub somewhere or whatever. Um, so it was really not that big of a deal. It took me about a half a day to get up and running again, but uh, still <clears throat> annoys me. So um, it's back up, and I am work. And actually, Matt, the reason that this broke in the first place is because I'm working on this leading edge tutorial. I was I was doing <laughs> I was doing some work. I promised. I said, Matt, you know this will be a nice thing for us to do. It'll be easy peasy. Let me just get it done. Boom! Broken OS. Uh, I was I was working on upgrading you know, or building a piece of dependency for a system uh, that I'm using for yeah. the leading edge tutorial, and I ended up blowing it. But um, yeah, even though the OS is back up, my uh, my tool is still not working after a couple of days of trying to get it to work, and I can see the wheels turning in your head that said, "If you need these crazy dependencies, it's not reproducible, man." And that's true. So I'm going to do two different pieces. One with all uh, simple new code that will be there. And then the crazy out there, if you can get this thing to run, it's way cooler right. piece. So, blah, there it is. Yeah, no, there's no doubt about it. That I mean, I was, you know, Linux is awesome, but... I have a hard time recommending it to anybody who isn't a sort of sysadmin on some level. Yeah. If you've never been in a terminal, you know, <laughs> in an term or whatever. Good luck. Definitely. Yeah, I mean, I, I, it would be a crazy move. Yes. Like, even on Ubuntu, 
I, that's the only one I've really tried with it's you know in a nice sort of desktop environment and there's even like a software manager and stuff like that but I mean you're you're gonna be down in the weeds at some point installing some crazy library or you know God forbid compiling something at some point I mean yes. and getting some of the like some of these machine learning things are like that right like cafe I was yep. the last one that I tried to install on multiple machines and I finally like it was almost like a week of trying and I'm just like I don't know guys like you, you just can't expect wide adoption or it's not a real solution in that state just not something most people can be bothered with I mean even max what's the market share of, of max like 10% yeah yeah and and those are awesome. Like they are legitimately easy to use. Um, well, you can't. You just can't do the type of stuff that we do without using Unix of some kind. So, I guess whatever it's a necessary. People do though. I, um, I mean, especially linear algebra. Yeah. Yeah. What do you know about linear algebra? Well, that's the problem. What, what's the problem? <laughs> Nothing. I I don't know anything about linear oh, algebra. <laughs> and. Uh, but I keep like, you know, this chap Ben Bauer, who um, it is a, he, he does a lot of contract like work to us to Agile on contract and has done for years. He's awesome, uh, and we love him. He's in he's in at UBC right now trying to finish his masters in geophysics, and is a physicist by background. And he's you know one of these people who we thought we all know them, who um, who just like and I think you're one of them too. Look at problems, and it's like, oh yeah, that's 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 just an inner product, uh, and, and people like me just sort of don't really know what that means. Have dim recollections of matrix math and stuff like that, but don't think about geophysical problems in those sort of terms. So I realized that uh, you and this guy Chris Jackson are buddies on Twitter, and Chris seems like a really smart guy, though I don't uh, know him in person. Um, he's got a lot of good material up there. Uh, his his Twitter handle, by the way, is Size Matters. It's uh, S E I S underscore Matters. Um, so you've got a note in the notes there. Um, what's going on with him? Uh, yeah, he you know he uh, arrived at the University of Manchester. I'm not totally sure when because I think I was. It was either after I started writing up or, or while I was writing up. So I was not aware of anything around me uh, at the time but um, so so we, we very distally go back a ways um, but anyway you know we follow each other on Twitter and I guess chat occasionally and yeah he's, he's a really awesome guy uh, young prof at the um, Imperial College London sedimentologist totally legit really full of beans and full of uh, ideas and um, yeah, I, I just get a kick out of um, out of his stuff. And anyway, yeah, he's so he's at EGU right now. It's a meeting going on in Vienna. I believe it's in Vienna every year. Um, I think it's called the General Assembly. It's kind of they've gone kind of grand with their convention title. And like AGU, I've never been, um, but I was kind of especially aware of it this year because we're going to Vienna next, you know, in May to the EAGE, which is kind of the Applied Geoscience Convention, right? The European Association of Geoscientists and Engineers. 
and um, we're doing our hackathon there. And I've, I've been kind of thinking, oh, maybe you should have gone to EGU to do the hackathon. It's much bigger. EGU seems to be just completely awesome. And anyway, so I've just been, you know, looking at pictures of him drinking beers and going to this cool. He's, I think, he chaired a little Pico session. What's Pico? Pico is one of these little experiments that EGU's been doing, I think, for a couple of years. Um, and they're basically, it's almost like a lightning talk followed by an interactive e-poster, kind of. So there's a talk to an audience, but it's only two minutes long. And then there's a place where there's a big screen, um, and you can go chat to the individual about their research, and there's this kind of interactive mini poster presentation thingy. Uh, that's what I gather. I've never actually been to one. But the unconference. I d yeah, I'd just love to see you know some innovation going on in that presentation sort of space. Uh, God, God knows we need some of that at SEG and APG because those the format there I feel like is just kind of broken. You know the sort of thirteen parallel sessions of back to back twenty five minute talks in the dark. It's like I just don't get why we need so many of so much of that. Mode. Well, because many people have a problem sleeping at night and they need a good place to catch up. Maybe that's it. I don't know. Maybe I'm missing the point of the conference, but yeah. I, and it, it's especially kind of awful, actually, at SCG. I can't, I can't speak for APG because I haven't given a talk there for a while, but like SCG last year, you know, you, <laughs> you can't show anything except a PowerPoint. That's, that's, that's like the only file format that they accept. So you yeah. can't do a demo on your computer. And or you set up Dynamite on stage with Geophones. You can't set off Dynamite. There's no, you can't even go to a web page during your presentation. Do you know what I mean? Like, so yeah. I did a talk last year on Pick This. It's like, here's a web app. I, I wish I could show it to you. <laughs> <laughs> it's mad. It's, oh, what a shame. So anyway, sorry, rant over. Yeah. All right. Well, there's one, there's one more piece of news on the list. Um, which is uh, mining of cryptocurrency. Uh, this this is something that I've been thinking about for a while. Uh, I I don't know how much. Do you know anything about mining Bitcoin mining? Uh, sort of, yeah, a bit. Okay. Um, so but describe it anyway. Yes. So uh, Bitcoin mining is basically verifying transactional records of other people's uh, goings on in the in the Bitcoin world. And uh, you, you sort of get rewarded for doing this. Um, so you're solving a big math problem. And at the end of the math problem, uh, you, you come up with a new what's called hash. And uh, that is uh, a, a transactional record. And you effectively gain Bitcoin by doing that. So the problem... I did not realize that... I knew that there was an algorithm churning away that's kind of rate limited, and that you result it resulted in bitcoins for you. Yes. I didn't realize that what you were doing was this kind of peer-to-peer -peer, um, verification of other transactions. That's really cool. Oh yeah, so you're doing two things: you're verifying transactions, and then you have to complete a proof of work, which is the actual SHA-256. Oh, it's fascinating. Hashing algorithm. Yeah. I mean, that's how the whole blockchain idea works. Mm. I mean, that, that's why the thing is 
distributed and right. um, uh, historically accurate, right? Yeah, um, right, and sort of un, um, unhackable in a sense. Yeah, uh, yeah, you're exactly right. I mean, if you hack one piece of the network, it doesn't matter because everybody else knows that it's wrong. But um, that's also why I don't. Do you do you use Bitcoin? So no, no. Okay. So well, anyway, when you when you use Bitcoin uh, for larger volume transactions, uh, the seller will oftentimes make you wait ten minutes while the uh, transaction, well, the, with an exchange of Bitcoin, is, is verified. Hmm. Um, why do I mention this? Oh, I got lost in my idea. Okay, so the uh, SHA two fifty six. Hashing algorithm is compute intensive, and uh, it's really hard to mine bitcoins now. It takes a lot of compute. So when you when when this started, when there were not that many bitcoins in existence, there's only 21 million combinations possible. By the way, 21 million bitcoins. Uh, there is an intense compute requirement because the computational problem gets more difficult with with the amount of bitcoins found. And it's throttled by the amount of miners. The, the traffic is throttled by the amount of miners. So um, rather than using CPUs and GPUs now, people are using FPGAs, and then they're using whatever the, you know, the, the constant, the, the hardware uh, uh, full programmed application is of the FPGA. I forget what it's called. PI something. Um, so anyway, you're talking about teraflops of stuff that have to happen to, to solve one of these math problems. Um, however, there are other forms of cryptocurrency. One in particular, they call it the, the silver to Bitcoin's gold, uh, which uh, use a different hashing algorithm. In this case, uh, it's, you know, the Litecoin algorithm, as it's called, is it, it's, it's called S-Crypt or Script, they call it, uh, which is memory intensive more than it is compute intensive. So, my idea is, is to use seismic processing computers, which have lots of memory, right? And, and you know, decent compute, but not, not super, super compute, uh, to solve some problems to make some, some Litecoin in the, and then exchange for Bitcoin and then eventually for cash or US dollars, whatever. Um, I see. So stuff like reverse time migration, let's just mine Litecoins. <laughs> Well, I, I'm not sure that's true, and, and I, I literally have not done enough hardcore proof of concept work to make that assumption. But uh, I'm going to. I guess, well, I guess that's what that's what you know CGG is competing with, right? If they can make more money, that's what their price point. Like, if they can make more money mining cryptocurrency, why that's wouldn't right. they do that? That is true. Um, so we'll see if it's possible to do it on a small, small-ish computer here. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm interested in the outcome. I did have the Bitcoin mining software on my computer briefly in about 2011 or something. Mm -hmm. well, that was and, the time uh, to do it, man. Yeah, and it, you know, whatever, um, something happened. I stopped using it. I, at the time, no one was talking about Bitcoin, so I was like, oh, I'm screw it. That was probably just a weird social experiment anyway and I never went back to it and then yeah two two years later I'm like oh, damn it <laughs> yeah when the price it doubled right in 13 2013 is it the did, price yeah yeah anyway I didn't pay close attention I just thought it was a cool yeah. thing at the time yeah 
Um, so that uh, space apps, uh, NASA space apps, is this weekend. There were a bunch of people in the software underground who were going to get together, to make an app, and we're not mm. doing it anymore. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, people have kind of run into some time constraints and stuff, and, and uh, there's only two of us left who have the time to do it. And I think that the the project we were aiming to do is a little too complicated for two people to do it in a weekend. So, um, uh, what was it? What was the project? Next year. Um, so the project that we initially decided on, and this is with uh, Mateo, mm-hmm. uh, was to do some near-Earth asteroid or whatever object detection using machine learning. Um, it would have been a cool project, uh, but a big one. And so one of the other Software Underground people and I, over the past week, when, when all these people started dropping out, have uh, discussed doing uh, an, an asteroid mining project. And oh, so I thought okay. maybe we could tackle some uh, small piece of that where we, we build a little app that calculates the fuel requirements or the thrust requirements or something to grab something near Earth and, and move it somewhere where it would be of any use to be mined. <laughs> um, but that's pretty cool. tough. Uh, it, that, that's a more difficult problem than two people working for one weekend, um, especially since neither of us have orbital dynamics specific backgrounds. I mean, it, it feels and it, it certainly does uh, operate as this type of problem that you could solve using some sort of Hamiltonian or Lagrangian dynamics, um, you know, kind of to derive Kepler's laws or something close to that to... to um, figure out how, how to maneuver these things in space. Um, yeah, but, but that, 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 that part may be a solved problem. I don't know. I that don't part know. is a solved problem, right? No. And so then I was thinking, so maybe we should take one of these backends from this open source uh, oral mechanics software and incorporate that into an app that uh, right. does some sort of visualization or some more accurate calculation on moving these things around. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I got a little deeper into the research and realized that would take a team of 10 people six months. <laughs> so, so whatever. We're not going to do it. But uh, next year, hopefully we can get a team going. Um, and then the last piece of biz here on the list is is the digital mixer for recording the podcast. Uh, oh, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure. I'm not sure we need it. Um, doing. So I use two computers here in the office to do the podcasting. One is using windows the stereo mix app to get uh to to suck the audio off of the um hangouts uh recording or or, uh, transmission which is where we do our interviews and uh matt and i hop on together and then the other one is is just basically using an analog microphone you know little crappy microphone to do the um to do my voice recording or in the case of a guest in office do both of us and that seems to be working pretty well. Um, so I'm apt not to do anything about it. <laughs> <laughs>